Praise God. I'm glad to be here today. I'm thankful for a godly mother in my life, and I strive to be a godly mother for my children and for your children. I hope that you do the same if you are a mother. Fathers, if, if you uh, follow the, <laughs> the uh, example of a godly mother, you can too be a nurturer. It's not just moms that can nurture. Fathers can nurture too. I know there's specific rules, um, but the whole church is called to nurture and to grow and to see babies, spiritual babies be born. And we have a role in that. And I encourage you to take up that calling and be part of the church mothering. Thank you, Jesus. Um, while you're standing, let's go ahead to the word, Romans 4. Uh, Romans 4, verses 20 through 21. I'm reading in the New King James Version today. This scripture is uh, speaking about Abraham. You know who Abraham is? The man of faith, right? Abraham in the Old Testament. But here in Romans, Paul's writing about him. Speaking of Abraham, he said, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Unbelief will cause you to waver. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to be to perform. Everyone say he was fully convinced. And then Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence or conviction of things not seen. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, would you bless what we are going to pursue here today, God? You've given word for this service, Jesus, and we gladly receive it. Give us clarity. Let our ears be anointed to hear your word as you speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The blessing of conviction, two words that seem to not really go together, but I'm going to talk to you about how conviction is a blessing in our lives. Conviction, it's a firmly held belief which implies a deeper manifestation of inward assurance, or we call that faith. Faith. So when you have faith inside you, the outward appearance of the faith will look like conviction. When people look at your faith, they'll see convictions because those are linked together. And we're going to study how that is today. People of deep faith are prepared to live out their belief, right? Usually people walk what they talk, right? You'll see it. You'll see the evidence of it. Uh, so people of deep faith are prepared to live it out. They're going to show their faith. They're not afraid for you to see what they believe. And this applies not just to spiritual faith in God, but uh, like in business. If, uh, if a person is pursuing a, a goal, they're likely to su succeed and be successful if they're convinced that success is inevitable, right? There's nothing... Nothing like the driving force of a businessman who has his eyes on the prize and he is giving it 100% 24-7, right? He is most likely to succeed. Now, if you make a goal and you're like, okay, that's my goal, and then you never really work toward it, you just kind of be like, okay, that, that's my goal, right? It's a good goal. I hope to someday be that or do that or receive that. You're not going to get there, are you? But if you're convinced that you will be there someday, you will walk that direction, and you will do the things that would get you there. So our level of success is, is attached to our level of conviction. Spiritually, that's true as well. Our level of spiritual conviction brings about the level of spiritual success. If we believe truth... And we, we say we do, right? As God reveals truth to us in his word, we're like, yep, I believe that. So as if we believe truth as we say we do, our behavior should manifest that belief. In other words, our life choices and actions 
should be outward evidence of our inward commitment to truth. We should be so sure of God's promises and blessings that are still in the future that we behave as if they're here in the present. That's faith. That's conviction. I am sure of what God has promised. Has God promised you something? Do you know what God's promises are? Maybe you're like, oh, God hasn't promised me anything. Yes, he has. It's in the word of God. Do you own a Bible? Open it. Those those promises are for you. His word is eternal. So even though he may have promised it way back when, he was reaching to you. That promise is for you. And I need to be so sure of God's promise that I'll act as if it's already here. It's already here in the present, even though it's a future promise. That's how Abraham lived his life. That's what it said in our text. He was fully convinced. He knew that, you know, his body was getting old. There was, there was almost no way that he could have a child His wife's body was old. There's no way she could conceive and bear a son. And yet, that's what God promised them. God said, you're going to have a son. And didn't happen, didn't happen, didn't happen. And they were like, okay, well, (laughs) time is ticking. Things are not happening. And yet, he was fully convinced. And he kept believing anyways that it was going to happen. He was fully convinced. So great faith equals great convictions. Weak faith equals weak convictions. Those who walk by faith in the word of God will certainly be people of conviction. It's no surprise that the opposite is true also. Those who walk in unbelief or uncertainty, they'll even mock conviction when they see it in others. They'll say, oh, yeah, we can't know that for sure. No, mm-mm. I, I, you're holding on to a promise that there's, there's, no, there's no evidence. There, mm, yeah, okay. You go, ahead and, you go ahead and believe something that'll never happen. You go ahead and believe that your 90-year-old wife will have a baby. You go ahead and believe that, Abraham. Sure, whatever, okay, mm-hmm. That's what we do. When we live in unbelief, we become mockers. We mock the things of God. We mock the promises of God because we don't believe that they'll happen. There's no conviction that they'll happen. So what, what are you convinced of? What is your worldview? Because your convictions form your worldview. It's like putting on glasses. You'll look through it, and that's what you'll see. It will either be a good or a bad vision. Convictions are foundational, whether they're good or bad, whether they're truth or whether they're deception. So where are you getting your convictions from? Where have they come from? You have them. Every person has convictions. Where did you get it from? Do you think you don't have any? You do. Are you letting groupthink, social justice, your friends give you your convictions? You letting social media do that for you? Where are you getting your convictions? Where are you getting your belief system? What makes you think the way you think? Where are you getting that from? You need to find out. Have you ever examined your convictions? What's at the root of your convictions? It's time for a little bit of self-examination every now and again to see where are my convictions coming from? What are they rooted in? Are they rooted in the word of God? Are they true or are they deception? You have to find that out. If you're not strong in your conviction of truth, you will not be the influencer in your circle because truth influences. So if you are not believing truth, if you are not convicted of truth, if you are not convinced of truth, you will not bring truth to the table. You will not influence for truth. Instead, you'll be influenced because without conviction, you're weak. So you will be influenced, not be the influencer. The worldview of those around you will imprint onto you, and you'll find that you are the one that's lost in the confusion of this world. It's not a place I want to be. The world we live in has begun to confuse emotion with conviction. Emotion 
for conviction. What they feel is their truth. Have you heard that? Have you seen that? What I feel is my truth. Really? What you feel is your truth. Truth convictions have actually been thrown away by parents, and they're no longer taught to children, and therefore, we're creating chaos, right? You're seeing it. Things are not what they were before. They were, they're not the way they were even 10 years ago. Chaos is happening. Chaos is being created, and that is because we have gotten rid of the foundational convictions of truth, that's from the word of God. We say, we look at it and we say, I don't see any value in this. It's not what I want. It's not, I don't feel it. It's just not, I'm, it's not me, just not who I am. And so I throw it away. And then I wonder why everything feels so unstable, why things feel chaotic, why I cannot trust my emotions to lead me properly. That is the world that we're living in. But on this Mother's Day, I want this to be known to the mothers, the Bible is clear that mothers are to teach their children the things of God and that children are to honor and obey their mothers and their fathers. They are to honor and obey, but as a mother, it's my responsibility to give the truth. Whether they reject it or not, I have to give that truth. I have to let them see my convictions. A woman of strong conviction will produce children of strong conviction. The conviction will be there because conviction breeds conviction. Conviction breeds conviction. So um, my mom used to say, um, if you are not sure what the boundary is, use mine until you figure it out because it will keep you from harm. If you don't have boundaries, borrow mine because I've proved them. They work. And I say that to you today. Look around you. See somebody who is strong in their faith and borrow their convictions until you are sure and convinced fully of the truth of God's word so that you have that conviction in your own heart. It will give you a security and a strength that you didn't have before. Truth convictions in the home create an environment of hope. It's a, it's a viewpoint of God can and God will. Do you, do you live like that? God can and God will. I believe that. God can and he will. Why don't you say that just right now? God can and God will. And use that in every situation. God can and God will. God can and God will. We hear a lot about being a warrior woman in today's culture. A warrior. I am woman, hear me roar. But you know what? I am tired of the lies being per, uh, paraded before me. The lies of that if we reject our God-given role as women and we pursue proving that we can be everything a man can be, then everything will be so much better. That is a lie from the pit. I am here to tell you today that that is not truth. It is not truth. God created you to be someone special. He created you to be unique. He made you the way you are. That is your identity. I don't like my identity. Maybe it's because you haven't been convinced of the beauty of identity in Jesus Christ. Have you taken the time to be honest and look at it? And think about it and ask the Lord to show you? Have you done that? Because if you haven't, then you're caught in self-deception. You're willingly deceived. The Bible talks about that. If I'm not willing to say, Lord, I don't understand this. Lord, would you open my eyes? Would you show me who you say I am? Would you show me identity in you? Who am I? Who do you want me to be? What purpose do you have for my life? If I don't take the time to do that, I am deceiving myself because then I'll go on and say, nope, this is what I think I am, and it's deception. We're having identity confusion rammed down our throats in the name of equality. I'm here to tell you it's a path of destruction. A true warrior woman is one who protects the growing things in her home. What's growing? 
in her home? What's growing in my home? What are the growing things that are worth keeping? Not the weeds, right? If you plant a garden and things start growing, what do you do? You protect the good and you take out the bad, right? If I want carrots and there's thistles growing, curses on thistles. Um, (laughs) I hate thistles. (laughs) What am I going to take out? The carrots? No, the thistles, and I'm going to protect it. If I see the little bunny out there trying to eat my carrots, what am I going to do? I'm going to run out there and be like, hey, (laughs) no. (laughs) And he's like, what's up, doc? Yeah. (laughs) No, (laughs) I'll send the dog out. (laughs) Um, But... (laughs) Either way, I'm trying to protect the good thing, right? And that's how our home is. That's, that's our home environment. We, the growing things, the things that ought to be there, the things that we want growing in our children, and yes, in ourselves, in our spouse, in every person that's in that home environment. The things that should be growing there are the values. Courage. Is courage growing in your home? Do you nurture courage in your home? Not just in your children, yes, in your children, but in your spouse, in any other person that lives with you in your home? Do you help them to be courageous? Do you help them to grow in respect? Respect. It's, it's a virtue. Do you help them to grow in respect? Do you choose respect yourself? How about honor? Honor. That's in the Ten Commandments. What are we supposed to honor? Two, th- three things. Honor mother and father, honor the Sabbath. Three things to honor, right? Those are ju- that's just in the Ten Commandments. The Bible says a lot more about honoring, but just those things. Do you teach your children to honor their parents? Do you teach them to honor the Sabbath? Honor, protect what's growing. How about reverence? Reverence is a virtue. It's a lost virtue. The ladies know I'm, I'm currently reading a book about reverence, and it's teaching about the lost virtue of reverence. People don't revere things. They don't show reverence to one another or to uh, values that should be in our home. Uh, to, they don't show reverence to the things of God. They don't show reverence in so many ways. There's so much irreverence in our world today. And then the last one is identity. Do you protect the identity of Jesus Christ in your home? Do you protect the identity of peace in your home? Because he's the prince of peace. And if he is Lord over my house, if he's Lord over my home, there will be peace there. If I'm missing peace in my family, if I'm missing peace in my home, what's missing? The ruler of peace. And that's Jesus Christ, the prince of peace. That's what I'm missing. So because of a mother's convictions, she will stand in the way of the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The warrior woman is not a feminist. She's not woke, but she is a force to be reckoned with. The enemy is afraid of a godly mother. He is. I promise you that. I have lived with a godly mother, and I strive to be a godly mother. And I can promise you that Satan is not happy with that. A godly woman is fully convinced that God's promises are true, that God's word is powerful, and that her calling is is sure. As a woman, as a mother, her calling is sure. She can trust God with the details. I trust God with the details. Do you trust him with the details? That's part of that conviction. Because when I'm fully convinced that God has got this, that I don't have to do it, he will do it for me, then I can be convinced of the details being in his hand. He will work it all to his, his plan. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to connive. I don't have to try to rearrange everything and give God space to, to uh, maybe help, help him along, be like, okay, God, I see you did this, but I think it would be better this way. And um, yeah, I don't know. No, he can do it without our help. He chooses to include us in the process, but he can do it. He can do it. God can and God will. Current culture is trying to change the world with chaos, and we are living in this world uh, that is being changed to be a world without conviction. But we can 
be world changers ourselves. We can change the world with our convictions. The world around us can be changed with conviction. How, in, how is that possible? Well, the disciples did it in the book of Acts. They turned their world upside down, it says, because they were fully convinced of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were fully convinced of the gospel. They had walked with him. They had seen the miracles. They had even been part of the miracles. He sent them out two by two. He gave them authority in his name, and they did it. They did the things he did, and he even promised that greater things than this ye will do. That's what he said, and so they were fully convinced. Three years of walking with Jesus Christ did that for them. They watched him die. They felt the, the hope being ripped away, like, what is he doing? Why is he subjecting himself to the cross? They didn't understand. They stood around there just waiting, like, okay, maybe now he's coming down off the cross. Nope, not yet. Maybe. And they hung out, and they waited. And finally, they gave up and left. And they probably felt dejected. And they probably felt like, what happened? There was a promise here, and it didn't happen because they didn't understand don't make choices that will take you off God's path because you lack understanding. Instead, ask God for understanding and stand where you are and wait until the Lord comes through and then you will see, then you will understand and you'll still be on the path. So let's talk about the uh, disciples' Holy Ghost conviction. The story in Acts 3 and 4, it starts with Peter and John. Maybe you know this story. Peter and John are going to church. Okay, it's Sabbath. They're going to the temple on Sabbath. And it says, as they were, as they were uh, accustomed to doing. So they were in the habit of going to church on Sunday. That's, I am too. And you never know what's going to be at church on Sunday. Sometimes it's, it's quiet and sometimes it's not. Sometimes there's crazy people there and sometimes there's peaceful people there. You never know what you're going to get, right? But God will always be there. His spirit is always going to be here. He is always ready to minister to those who show up. He's always ready to be who he is, a healer, a changer of lives. He's always ready to do that. Well, Peter and John, they're going to church like they always do. And they did not get up that day and say, you know what? We should heal a lame man today. I think I'll put that on my list of things to do. Nope, they did not. But you know, the Bible says that that lame man had been there a long time. They knew him. They passed him all the time. There may be people that you pass all the time, people that you work with, people that you know, that that's just who they are, that's what they are. There's that lame man sitting outside the temple again asking for money, and I imagine they, they were good people. I imagine they were probably sometimes throwing some money in his cup, right? They were interacting with him. Maybe they already knew his name. The Bible doesn't say what his name was, but maybe they knew his name. I don't know. Uh, but here they come today, going to church, and there's that lame man laying there. And that was the day. That was the day that God's timing was right. That was the day that he was ready to heal this man. And so here's this man saying, can you give me some money? And they didn't have any. Peter and John, it doesn't pay really well to just be a disciple. Um, <laughs> not monetarily. <laughs> so they had no extra change, you know, and, and all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost came over them. And Peter looked at that man and he said, look at us. And he's like, I am looking at you. <laughs> you have some money for me? He's like, look at us. And he was meaning something deeper. Look at us. Look and see who we are. Look and see the power of the Holy Ghost that is in us. Look and see something deeper. Look and see what God can do for you. He said, I don't have silver and I don't have gold, but what I have, I will gladly share with you. I have authority in the name of Jesus Christ, the power to heal the sick. Get up and walk. And his faith met their faith and he stood up and walked. That easy. And I want to encourage you that maybe you haven't seen your miracle yet. Maybe you're the lame man that's been laying there for 30 years. Maybe you're like, you know what? I'm just always going to be a beggar. I'm just going to get whatever, you know, happens to come my way. 
That is not what God does. God does not leave you to just exist. He is always calling. He is always drawing. That's what he does. He doesn't leave us alone. He wants to be a relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. And so this lame man sitting here all these years, it was finally the day the Lord said, okay, this is the right day. This is the perfect moment for me to perform my healing miracle in this man's life because there was a greater purpose. And there is a greater purpose in the things that you struggle with. There is a greater purpose in the things that you experience. There is a greater purpose. It's not just for you. It's not just for you. It's not just something you have to struggle through. It's something that you will see victory in if you have faith to believe that God can do a work in your life. And when you do that, you will see that it's not just your healing, but all of a sudden it's everybody's healing. All of a sudden everybody's getting excited because somebody just got healed. Somebody just got restored and made whole and their life has changed forever. So it's not just for you. It's for everyone around you. And that's what happened with this man. The, uh, the healing happened. Peter and John went in. So it's like, okay, well, that happened. Great day. And then they went ahead and preached. Well, all of a sudden, the town was talking because the lame man got healed. And here comes the church leaders. And they come in, and they're like, what are you doing? The Bible says that Peter and John were uh, preaching for like six hours or so. I mean, wow. That's how hungry these people were. And so he, they found them preaching, but it wasn't just that they were preaching. It's that they were preaching about the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And that's the part that they had a problem with. It's not just that I believe in God. It's what do you believe in God? What will stir up the hornet's nest? Well, that was it for them. The name of Jesus, the power of resurrection, that was something they did not want being preached in their temple. And they arrested them. They brought them before the council. And uh, it says that there was three things that the council could not deny. And I want to encourage you with this. that The council could not deny that there was supernatural boldness in Peter and John. It says they marveled at it. Supernatural power. The power of the Holy Ghost made them somebody they could not be on their own. Supernatural boldness. Peter stood right up to them and talked right, said, was not afraid to speak truth to them. That was weird because Peter was just a backwoods fisherman, you know, from Galilee, of all places. Like, he wasn't educated. And yet, here he was standing and talking to the council and making sense, things they didn't want to hear. He was able to articulate in such a way that they marveled at it. And then they couldn't deny that the layman had been healed. A notable miracle that we cannot deny, they said. There has been a notable miracle that we cannot deny. And then it says, uh, that their position of spiritual leadership was threatened. They felt threatened. And so they chose to turn that back, and they threatened the disciples. They couldn't deny the miracle. They couldn't deny the supernatural boldness. The world cannot deny your miracles. The world cannot deny the supernatural boldness of the Holy Ghost. If you have been filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, the world cannot deny that. You can deny it. You can say, no, I choose not to walk in the power of the Spirit. But the world cannot deny a person who's walking in boldness in the Holy Ghost. And so in Acts 4, uh, 18 through 20, it says, So they called them, Peter and John, and they commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. They were convinced. They were fully convinced. They could not and they would not go against their convictions. I cannot and I will not go against my convictions. 
I will not because I am fully convinced of the power of the Holy Ghost at work in my life. I am fully convinced that because I have seen supernatural things, I have seen God at work in other people's lives. I have seen lives change. Brother Reese spoke about his grandfather being delivered from addiction. I have seen deliverance from addiction. I have seen broken lives mended. I have seen marriages that were about to fall apart put back together because of the choices of those people to be fully convinced of what God can do in their life. Peter and John knew what they had experienced when they were walking with Jesus. Do you, do you examine that? Do you, you know what God has done in your life. Do you pretend like you don't know it? Do you cover that up? Do you put that away in your mind? No, we should take that out and we should examine that. We should meditate on the good things of God. This is what God has done in my life. This may not be what he did in your life, but this is what he's done in my life. And boy, am I thankful. And boy, does that empower me to live for him. They knew how the Holy Ghost had changed their lives because before they had received the Holy Ghost, they were weak. They were powerless. They were scared. Peter denied Christ, somebody who he loved passionately. He believed in Jesus and the mission, but yet he went ahead and and denied him. When it came right down to it, he's like, no, I I don't know him. I don't know him. Because he wasn't fully convinced yet. The Holy Ghost has that power of conviction to give you a strong, a strong conviction, a strong foundation of conviction. And they were convinced that the way of Jesus Christ was the only way. And that's what they called the early Christians, the way. They were in the way. Convictions give us strength to stand in troubled times. So how do I get these convictions that I need? Because I promise you, you need them. If you don't have them, you need them. How do I get it? What's the process for gaining these convictions? Four things. Number one, a measure of faith is already given to you. The Bible says that every person has a measure of faith. I don't know how big a measure is, but you have it. I promise you have enough faith, a measure of faith. Romans 12, 3, God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Every is the word. Number two, build your faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. Jude, 20, uh, Jude verse 20 and 21 says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves And it says, unto eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, unto eternal life. But that's what we're keeping ourselves toward, eternal life. So we have this faith already, this little measure of faith, right? You've got it. Once you receive the Holy Ghost, which is an exercise of faith, once you receive the Holy Ghost, If you pray in the Spirit, it builds your faith. I guarantee you will build your faith. If you take time every day to pray in the Spirit, you will build your faith. I have felt low before, and I just get alone with God, and I get in His Spirit, and I I allow the Spirit to speak through me. I allow that. It's mine to allow. I can close my mouth, or I can open it and let the Spirit speak through me as He will, and He will. Because of my faith. And when I do that, I promise you, I can feel my faith rising up. I feel like the things that seemed so big before are not big. Because he is bigger. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Build your faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. Number three, faith plus works. James 2 14 through 18, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith? You have faith, right? You have that measure of faith, but does not have works. You don't act on it. Can faith save him? Well, if if faith could, and you all have that measure of faith, we literally have no reason to even preach about salvation because since you already have a measure of faith, you're already saved, right? Right, That, that would be logical, but that's not what it is. If someone says he has faith and does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, they don't even have what they, the core things that they need, and one of you says to them, 
depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But you don't give them the things they need for their body. What does it profit? What does it profit? If somebody comes crawling to your house and says, I haven't eaten in a month and I am, I am so, I'm starving. You're like, well, the Lord bless you. Be filled. And you don't go and get some food and you don't allow them to come sit at your table and eat. What does it profit? Nothing. Your kind words, be filled, did nothing. Faith without works is dead. Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, you're a man of great faith, and look what I'm doing for God. No, 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 no. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. That sounds a little confusing, but what he's saying is you can't have one without the other. You can claim to have great faith, but if you don't, if you aren't performing the works of faith, then you don't really have great faith. And you can say, I do all this stuff for God. I work in the kingdom. You can say all that. But if you only have the works and not the faith, it's of no value. It's of no value. So faith without works is dead. So number four, faith must be put into action. Matthew 17, 20 says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say, it's an action, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, I don't really have any reason to go out and look at Mount Everest and be like, you, move over there. I don't have a reason to do that. It's a metaphor. But we do have mountains in our life. We have things that seem unsurmountable. We have things that seem like there's no way I'm ever going to conquer this. We have addictions. Yes, yes, we do. We have issues. Yes, we do. We have damage from other people. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And some of those things seem so big. Some of them are big. I am not downplaying what you have experienced in your life because some of them are huge Some of them really seem unsurmountable. Some of them really seem like there is no way, no way I can do anything with this mountain in my path. Here I sit. Here I sit. And he gave this this, uh, picture because all you need is that little bit of faith that God gave you. You don't have to create it. You don't have to try to find it. You don't have to go to church and beg for it. All you need to do is use it. Action. Say to the mountain, move, move. It it doesn't say, say to the mountain, it would be nice if you moved. You know, I'm kind of tired of you. You know, you're just blocking my path. No, 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 no. This is not the time for manners. Say to the mountain, move from here to there. Say to your mountain, move from here to there. Jesus has given us authority to use the faith that he gave us. So see how he gave? He gave it all. He gave us everything we need. He gave us the faith we need. He gave us the ability to speak. He gave us the authority to speak. So you have everything you need. If, you've ex- if you exercised your faith by commanding a mountain to move to a different location and it obeyed, would that fully convince you of what faith can do? Would it? Is that what you need? No. God said we're supposed to be fully convinced. We choose to convince ourselves. We get in the word of God and we read for ourselves. We get in the prayer room and we speak to God and we listen to what he says. And that is how we become fully convinced. We don't wait for it to happen to us. We go and we get it. We say, I want to be fully convinced. I want that, that uh, foundation of conviction in my life. Our decisions and actions are informed by our convictions. And as our faith grows, so do our convictions. The more we act in faith, the more it grows. And the more conviction we gain. And then because we have stronger conviction, guess what? We find that we have more faith for the things that are standing in our way. We can move bigger mountains. We can move mountains we didn't even know were there. 
We can heal from things that we didn't even know were deep inside us. The root causes will be pulled out and God will fix it. He will put it together. He will heal it. You see how that cycle works? Strong convictions will empower you to answer God's call. Strong convictions will show you the needs of the kingdom. Strong convictions will make you feel like you don't have enough time to accomplish everything God has for you. Strong convictions do that for you. There's so many things I can do. A whole world opens up to me. I'm not just stuck in a rut. I'm not a victim any longer. I'm a child of the king. He has given me things that he ordained to be in my life. Beauty for ashes is what he says. He will give you beauty for ashes. He will give you joy for your mourning. He will make things new. He is a creator, and he never stopped creating. He still creates today. He will create a new thing in you if you will let him. We still have to reach for the conviction. We have to live with hands and heart open, giving, serving, planting, and then harvesting. Mothers can call better days into the lives of their children if they have strong truth convictions. A mother's money is not going to give them a firm foundation. The privilege of having a good mother is not what gives the child strength to live an upright life. A mother's love, and boy do we love love, right? But a mother's love is not what helps her children in life's decision making. It's the strength of their convictions. Even if, mothers, even if your children reject your truth convictions, your children will have already been formed by those convictions and it will inform them throughout their lives. So I challenge you, be a world changer. Be fully convinced of the truth of Jesus Christ and live those convictions out loud so that others can see the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name. Why don't we stand together? Hallelujah. If our mothers are in the room, I'd like to ask you to come down front, and we want to pray a blessing over you today as we finish. Just a prayer blessing for our mothers. If you're here, come with your family. That's fine. Come on down. Um, if they want to come, they can. They come with you. Just gather in this area right here, and we're going to pray a prayer of blessing over our mothers. How many enjoyed that word? Thank you, Sarah. That was tremendous. What a blessing to have convictions in our life. When a mom's convicted of the good things, she transfers it to her children. And the children don't know it, but those convictions become a blessing in their life. Seeds sown, seeds grown. I pray right now in the name of Jesus over every mother in this room. Dear Father, we approach your throne on behalf of these mothers whom you have entrusted with your care of your most precious little ones. We thank you for creating each mom with unique combinations of gifts and talents. Lord, we thank you for this moment to honor them, for their self-sacrifice. Each mom in this room and online listening right now, they sacrifice themselves. They put themselves aside for the betterment of their children and for those around them. For the late nights spent rocking Calicky infants and for the hands that are calloused from washing and cleaning and scrubbing and mixing and, and backing their kids to give them courage and stirring and hugging and painting and pat, patting and discipling all of these different things that moms do the holding their loved ones when they need it, to kissing bobos when they have fallen, to, to writing letters to them and encouraging them, to er erasing things that, that they need erased when they fall down and they mess up, just loving them anyways, and, and then, of course, pouring into their children the love that they can give from God. 
We thank you for the gift of time that moms give. We thank you, Jesus, for the kids they raise, the talents they invest, the things that they encourage out of their children, whether they're a stay-at-home mom or a working mom or some sort of combination of those two. We bless our mothers in this congregation today. We thank you for the flexibility of the mothers that are here, how their tirelessness and their perseverance and their devotion to their children and their family lives on in their family. We thank you, Lord, for the mothers that were good, that were put in our lives. We pray you give each mom strength. Help her to see every mundane task, the eternal cosmic significance that you place in her motherhood from the Lord that even the smallest things become great things and you do the greater from the lesser. Bless our mothers. They're the most radical world changers in any event, any time, any place. There's nothing like a mom who steps in to care for children. We ask you to bless them with happiness and joy. Lord God, bless them for the anonymous moments that they changed their home when nobody saw it but you, Jesus. Would you honor them? Would you help her to forgive those that undermine her significance? I bind that in the name of Jesus, that mothers are powerful in the home and that significant spiritual feminism heals the children and heals their husband. We especially pray for single moms who must lean solely on you, Jesus, for the fathering of their children. We thank you that your big arms surround children who may never know their own earthly father. We also pray for mothers who never had the honor of bearing children, but whose nurturing extends to the many poor and needy who cross the thresholds of their lives. I ask you today, Lord Jesus, that you be their daily bread, that you give moms who are tired strength, we ask you to be their living water, their life spring. We ask that you be their source of spiritual and physical strength. We pray this today as we're all praying in this room that the same grace that flowed to us in salvation would flow from mothers to their children and to their spouses. We pray that each mother rejects perfectionism and instead embraces the goodness of the gospel and the goodness in their children. We pray that the rhythms of repentance and forgiveness shape every home that they touch. Lord, give each mother a worshiping reverence for you, the creator and the sustainer of life. Help each mother to rest in the knowledge that they are but stewards of your children and that our only hope is in Christ Jesus and to transfer that to our kids and that the only true spirit of God is a spirit that changes things and can produce change in the hearts of each boy and girl that they raise. May each mother find rest in you, I pray, Jesus. And most of all, Lord, on this day that we celebrate moms, we honor mothers. May we love and cherish the special women who have borne us who have nurtured us and who have prayed for our well-being. May our hearts overflow with gratitude to you, Lord Jesus, who formed and knitted us, each one of us, in our mother's womb. We pray you bless our mothers today. And everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. Let's thank the Lord for all these blessings A mother's prayer, a blessing for our mothers. Jesus' name. Since you're down here, would you just give somebody a hug as you're near them and just thank them for being a good mom to their kids as we celebrate today. God bless you as you go today. We love our mothers. Remember, moms, that there's a gift out in the foyer for you. Amen. And also, just remember that Bible Character Movie Night is here. Tomorrow night we're finishing up Ruth and then we're all done. We had to extend one week because we had a cancellation, but every after this week, any extension of, of life groups will be completed and we'll be looking into the summer. God bless you.
Turn.